Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 158 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, who I believe their November release is going to be a Dogworks volume three so keep an eye out for that be sure also to go to acoustic discs and sign up for the treat of the week and also sign up for the um for the email and then that way you will know also at a t- ahead of time what the treat of the week is and what the uh monthly releases are i still haven't heard back what the podcast is but it's probably going to be fantastic so be sure to head over to acoustic disc and also grace design some of the best preamps that you can plug an acoustic instrument to I saw a ton of them at IBMA. I see a ton of them at live shows all the time. You need to check them out. That Bix, the Alex, and the Felix 2. Check them out at a music store near you. Thank you, Grace. How's everybody doing? Hope everybody's doing good. I am recording this on Halloween Eve, but it'll be posting on Friday uh, when Sam Bush's album comes out, who is my guest this week. Man, I can't believe I got to talk to Sam again. He's just the best. This is a fun episode. He's just filled with great stories, man. Just warms my heart. So enjoy the episode with Sam. The album comes out today, Radio John. It's also Bandcamp Friday. That means if you go to Bandcamp and buy albums from any of your favorite artists, your favorite artists get all the money. So this is the time to go there uh, and check out Bandcamp. I am in Michigan when you are listening to this, I hope. Anyway, we are heading up. Going to be in Grand Rapids on Thursday. Going to be in Bay City on Friday. And we are going to be in Ferndale on Saturday. Along with me is Keith Billick from the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast and Brad Phillips, who is a fiddle player that plays with Jeff Daniels and he's played with the Fur Pipe. They live in Michigan, along with my buddies Wit and Bobby from down here in Charleston, South Carolina. We're doing our Tom Petty tribute. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to checking out the Tiki Bar in Grand Rapids that I've heard about recently. So that should be a good time as well. If you're in the area, please stop on by. Uh, and say hello. Also, I'm having some weird website issues with the mandolins of beer. Uh, I've been chatting with WordPress all weekend. I'm not sure really what's going on. Hopefully figure out soon, but um, I need to update my merch with all the new merch and I can't do that. And it has old merch on there, which people have been buying, but I am sold out and I can't get the uh, page to to uh, come off the, the site. So if you go to the page, just uh, I apologize for any inconvenience. Total bummer. But I am sold out of all of the classic shirts. I uh, did a clearance sale right before IBMA. What are you going to do? I'll get that stuff up there soon. I've got new hats coming in, too. I've been sold out of the hats since IBMA, and I love the hats, so I'm looking forward to them. Those should be in by the time I get back from Michigan. And then if I can get them on the website, I'll be golden. All right, let's get into the advertisers this week. Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation's got the streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. And you can learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Peghead Nation has got the best lineup of mandolin instructors going. They've got Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Curry. I mean, everything from beginner to jazz to Monroe style to Shoro, they've got it all. They got the high quality multi angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks of plenty of tunes and songs to play. Just go to pegheadnation.com. And use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, 
at checkout. Speaking of using promo codes that are all one word, if you go to straightupstrings.com from now until the end of 2022, you can use the promo code MANDOBEER, all one word, all caps, at checkout and get a 10% discount. That is off the strings, that is off the six pack of strings, and that is off all of the incredible books. So go to straightupstrings.com now, buy those strings, and hear every note of every chord. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com and download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Ear Trumpet Labs, hand-built microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eardrumpetlabs.com today. Also seen on almost any stage you're going to go to. Pava Mandolins, hand-built in Austin, Texas, dedicated to building for the impassioned player and elderly instruments, Michigan. The Michigan connection is strong. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, vintage, fretted, and stringed instruments. From the experienced to beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help you. They're in their 50th year. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com or give them a call. Great group of people, 517-372-7880. Let's get into this episode with one of my mandolin heroes, Sam Bush. Thanks so much for listening. I hope to see some of y'all on the road. You guys have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. baby when I am a man and others have taught me the best well it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast one of my mandolin heroes Sam Bush Sam how you doing I am fine Daniel I woke up today so pretty good day <laughs> it's a good start <laughs> that's, that's a great start yes so doing doing well it's a good time and um, lots of good things happening Hey, and it's time for the World Series as you and I speak. So, you know, that's that's a good thing. Yeah, tonight. I thought your cards were going to go a little bit further. That was a... Uh... That was a good I thought they would too, but uh, uh, they 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 ran into a team that is playing better than anyone else right now, and and that's and they're kind of looking that way going into the, the, talking about the Philadelphia Phillies, and they're they've just outplayed everyone they've met, and uh, and I expect them to keep doing it. Yeah, I think they will too, but it'll be good to watch. Anyway, you know, I'm always uh, up for some from evening sporting events. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I just like to watch the games, and and then and then after the World Series is over, I always get the blues because baseball season's over. <laughs> so that's cool. It gives you something to okay. Here comes spring. Let's do it again. Do you go to spring training games? We actually, Lynn and I, try to. Yes, uh, we haven't been since 2019, I guess. Uh, we we hope to go. We hope to go to some this year because it's such a great. Uh, it's such a great uh, early day vacation. You know, you're by 1 p.m. You're sitting at a game, and in the sunshine in Florida, and watching these. And you know, the the very young players are busting it hard to make the team. The the old the old you know 35 years old veterans of the team are 
are, uh, you know, comfortable and just getting their work in. And, you know, so you get to see all the players uh, throughout the, the, these these games. So, it, but, it, yeah, it's it's what Len and I love to do to welcome the baseball season back. When So, yeah, it's, we've been we've been to a lot of spring trainings over the years. We started going, I think, in 1985. And, um, so uh, it, we, we, we miss a year or two here and there, but uh, we, we're hoping to go back next year. So, uh, man, so we were just talking, you, you're busy doing promo for this album and you're saying, you know, you haven't, haven't really uh, been bored in 50 years. And then you said, well, maybe a little bit in 2020, but it kind of leads <laughs> us, kind of leads us to this recording that um, Radio John, which comes yeah. out, uh, this will, this episode will air the morning that the album comes out. So people oh, can nice. go out and buy this album today when they're listening to this. And I highly recommend it. It's like John Hartford said on the back of the first Newgrass Revival album cover, which he wrote a little poem for the Newgrass Revival for the back of our first album, but at the time was restricted from using uh, contractually uh, his, you know, signing at John Hartford. And um, so he signed it at the bottom of the poem, Radio John, <laughs> Topanga Canyon. And, uh, and, so uh, if you, you're, you're mentioning, Daniel, that, yeah, so if, if, if this podcast will be heard the day the album is released, then I can, um, you can, uh, then I'll sh- tell you how that little poem ended. It'll go right along with this release. But it says, but this ain't the first blue, he's talking about Newgrass Revival at the time, and they do a lot of things not recommended by the chief. But then this ain't the first bluegrass band that's been on relief. You could help relieve this problem and buy this oblum. <laughs> so you can buy this oblum today. Yes, and please do it. And uh, it's it, it always, again, um, I mentioned this a bunch of times on the podcast, but I was listening to a podcast um, with John Mayer and, and Corey uh-huh. Wong, a funk guitar player, and they both have millions of followers on their Instagram and they were like, you know, if just each one of them spent the $10, the once every two years that, that we put out an album, it would it would help so much. <laughs> you know what I mean? $10, I so, one yeah. person every two years. And it's been a minute since you've had a uh, since you've had your own recording out as well. So people have been has, saving yeah. that money up. It, well, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, it has uh, this, it's been a number of years since, since I recorded and, uh, or, you know, I've been busy the whole time. I record with other people. We're on the road the whole time. Um, but this, this whole record was, uh, started as kind of, uh, well, the way it all got going was that when Lynn and I, uh, go to the, we'd like to go to the beach in the, in the, uh, at the end of the touring year too, not, not to the area where baseball spring training is, but down to the Destin area and the Santa Rosa beaches. And um, so when we go down, you know, drive it down, I take a variety of instruments and, and I usually have some sort of the latest small recording device where you can sort of multi-track yourself for three or four tracks. Well, uh, I'm, I'm not the greatest engineer. <laughs> and, um, but, um, so it was, uh, four or five years ago, it all kind of got going when, um, we were down at the beach and I was trying this time I thought I would try everybody's going, Oh no, you know, use, use garage band and, and on your iPad. It's great. Um, well, as I tried to overdub with myself, there was some kind of latency and I could not seem to get the tracks in time with each other. Again, not being a, 
much of an engineer. So at the beach down there, I got lots of good buddies that are great musicians and one of, of different kinds, you know, they're like, for instance, uh, there's a, there's a band called Dread Clampett that I jam with down at the beach who have a wonderful mandolin player named Balder Saunders. So, you know, there's the, the, the kind of the acoustic connection is Dread Clampett down at the beach. And then uh, an R&B connection is uh, a guy named Donnie Sundel. And Donnie is a wonderful keyboard player and singer. I mean, man, uh, par excellence. And he's co-owner of a studio. So I'd been jamming with Donnie one night on some R&B stuff down there. I get to jam with, again, jam with different types of music when I'm there, which is, of course, the most interesting thing to me. And uh, and so jamming with Donnie, he's going, what you up to, you know, in the daytime out there at the beach? And I was, well, I've been trying to record these tunes, but I cannot get my, I, I'm spending all the time I have <laughs> messing with the machine. I'm not <laughs> playing my instruments. And um, he said, well, I, I'd stop by and help you out with that some tomorrow. I said, well, oh, great, you know, help me figure this thing out. Well, the next day Donnie stops by and he had brought a complete Pro Tools rig, monitor speakers, mic tech mics, preamps, uh, even brought me an extra bass, uh, just, you know, and uh, before I knew it, now Donnie is engineering, and we are putting these on, you know, professional recording equipment, and so at that point, I really, you know, I'd been, and I'd been thinking about John Hartford songs over the years, you know, because uh, while being at the beach, what I'm, the main goal is, you know, trying to make up some songs, make up some tunes, but uh, I would find myself, you know, sometimes just sitting around playing some of my old John Hartford songs that I loved over the years. And so I started putting them down um, on tracks in actually in hopes of making home demos to play for, for the guys in the Sam Bush band. And then we would work them up. But then when Donnie showed up with his digital te technology and capabilities, it became a reality that, well, if I really honed down on this stuff, maybe I can make this into an album because these songs are very personal to me and, and I don't expect others to maybe share that enthusiasm for the songs that why should they, that, that I do when I, you know, I grew up as a large fan of John's and played alongside of him. And, and, um, you know, they went from being a, a person that I you know, the, the hero to getting to play with them to getting to record with them. And, you know, just, we, we became pals and, um, Anyhow, so these uh, once once Donnie made it a professional recordings, then I started stacking tracks myself, and now you know we brought all the information back to Nashville, and uh, during 2020 lockdown, uh, uh, the uh, man that was working with me uh, on the road as an engineer and road manager then, Rick Wheeler, has his own uh, overdubbing room at his house, and so. We, I'd go to Rick's, and the two of us would just work for hours and hours on these on these overdubs and, and you know vocals, and and so all of a sudden I did have nine tunes that were written by John Hartford that I wanted to release. So I was thinking, how can we? What we need to put a button on this? How can we? You know bring all this into one thing. Well, I was, as I was mentioning earlier, where John had to sign his name, Radio John. Well, that was his nickname when he was a young man as a DJ in, uh, um, you know, St. Louis, KSTL, St. Louis. And, um, so got in touch with my friend, John Pinnell. Now, John and I have written songs over the years and many people might know John's name from being the bass player in the original, Union Station before it was actually called Allison Krauss in Union Station. And uh, so John has written many of the great songs you have heard Allison Krauss sing over the years. 
And so got a hold of John. And so we really wrote the song over the phone during lockdown in 2020 and just came up with verse after verse of uh, trying to uh, talk about all the uh, Hartford's attributes, you know, things he was good at, you know, steamboat. I mean, he became a steamboat captain. And the way I understand that is that if to become a bona fide steamboat captain, you have to know every crook and turn in the Mississippi River. And and that's part of a lyric of this tune. But anyway, we're talking about it being a steamboat captain. But if you back way up, okay, you know, think, think about it as his life went through, you know, you know of course, Banjo picker, fiddle player, uh, disc jockey, uh, later to be a comedy writer on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, and then of course, a recording artist and the singer. Song, but the songwriting that was that he was doing in the '60s was, to me, on par with people as heavy as you know Chris Christopherson and Mickey Newberry and those type of writers, and. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, and, and trying to cut, and then, you know, a dancer, he'd be, well, I remember when he decided, you know, he's, now he became a solo entertainer and he decided, well, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to learn to dance while I, while I sing. I went, really? And so then all that. And then at one point in his life, he decided he would change the way he, he had a, I, I thought he had a really unique way of in his handwriting. And, um, he decided he would change that, and then, and then later on his later albums, you would see this beautiful calligraphy uh, that John had learned to do, and he he just go, oh, it's real easy. It's just like getting in rhythm, playing a tune. I'm thinking, yeah, right. And um, so, so John was, uh, you know, just um, a Renaissance man. And so, Pinnell and I wrote a song called Radio John, and that became song number ten. Time on the docks of the Mississippi Valley Bars Line. Stoking towboats on those long hot days, getting half days old sometimes with. And on that one, that one I didn't, you know, I wanted to get the. the the band I play with to record that. So that one featured, that is the one tune on the record is song number 10 that does feature the band that, you know, I get to play with and Chris Brown on drums, Todd Parks bass, Stephen Mojan on the guitar and vocals. And, and this was the first recording that uh, since Wes Corbett joined our band in early 2020, um, that, that was the first time we were able to get in the studio with uh, with Wes on the banjo. And so on this tune, Radio John, it is down in the key of D where the low banjo that John Hartford really got that trend started. And uh, the reason people want to tune, you know, have a low-tuned banjo for certain keys. So anyhow, um, I had uh, in... I had already borrowed two banjos in my recording uh, from Bela Fleck, uh, two good low banjos that Bela had. I didn't have a good low banjo. I only have a good high banjo. And uh, so I borrowed two of the banjos from Bela, and one of them was, in fact, uh, John Hartford's, D, the John's banjo uh, that Bela owns, that is, was the one that John tuned down to low D. So I actually had... I had borrowed um, John's low D banjo from Bela, and so Bela, you know, was happy for Bela, for Wes to play that. So on on the cut radio, John, that is Wes 
playing John's uh, low tuned banjo. So then it's then West, you know, made a beautiful tone with it. So um, that's kind of the story of how all this stuff kind of sort of came together. That's that's a beautiful story about the banjo. Yeah, it was really unique that, uh, and then of course Wes was thrilled to get to play John's banjo, as was, you know, I wouldn't I mean I would just I'd sit and play on it and stuff. But uh, it, uh, I, the the low banjo that I used on the on the CD was was one of one of Bela's models, a gold a gold tone that Bela had all wound strings on this five string banjo, so oh, a real really? heavy heavy gauge, <laughs> which agreed which agreed with my right hand that is not exactly loaded with banjo finesse as much, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. I can play. I can play the banjo, but boy, you know it's it's. Uh, you have to work really hard to 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 and, and when recording to to make it sound like I want to. Yeah, you play the heck out of all these instruments, though. It really is amazing. I mean, it doesn't sound anything like one guy playing all the instruments, which is really tough to do. That's the hope. That's the hope. Uh, and but yes, and. Um, you know what? It's funny. One of the easiest things was bass playing. Uh, I I uh, I definitely had periods in my life where I was earning my living playing a bass, and uh, and I played bass in the high school orchestra, and uh, so I I got real serious about upright bass when I was a junior and senior in high school, but. You know, fortunately, made the decision that you know, come on, you know, you're, you play you play the male and the fiddle, and let's let's leave that in the hands of pros. But again, through through overdubbing and you know being meticulous, I I got it. You know, I made I, I played it till or played it and punched in and overdubbed till till I got things to my satisfaction. When you started the songs, did you start them with vocal and guitar? Was that how you started each one, or did you start uh, differently? Ba- well, I uh, I had I had tried that early in the uh, with doing vocal and guitar early in the process, only to find that you know I couldn't do it that way because uh, there's too much vocal bleed into the guitar and the vocals. Uh, I, I got pretty meticulous about, especially in some of these lower pitches. Here I am, too wasted for the evening ride down to Mother Mary. Other place, can I hang out here beside your fireside? Listen to the rain fall, fall along the earth ball. You know, I tried my dear that my voice works in works well in, but it uh, you know, I had to take my time and 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 uh, you know, some of these tunes to me, I, I wanted that low voice as you know obviously i don't sound like john singing but uh but in in that vein and uh, so i would basically start with uh, the guitar and a click track um probably either the bass or the mandolin would come next uh banjo would probably was always last uh just because that's really what i had to work the hardest on uh i played the banjo an awful lot when i was a kid uh, just hadn't done it as much in a long time. And um, when we first started Newgrass Revival, or, you know, over the years when Courtney Johnson was the banjo player in Newgrass Revival, Courtney had his own camper, right? So, you know, in the mornings we'd be on the road. I'd get up, you know, go over to Courtney's camper, and uh, we'd uh, just sit, and he made the world's strongest coffee. So we'd sit and drink <laughs> his coffee and play banjo and guitar about an hour every morning almost on the road. And, uh 
and then switch off. So we, I'd play banjo and he'd play guitar sometime, and we would learn things together. Learn Alan Mundy things and Earl Scruggs things, and and uh, you know Bill Keith, and um, so it. Um, I played it an awful lot, but then when Bela joined the um, New Grass Revival, so you, you know, basically Courtney the first nine years, Bela the second nine years on banjo, and uh, well, Bela didn't own a camper for starters, so that that re- <laughs> we didn't we just didn't have a chance to do that. We did we did play banjo and guitar sometimes, and Bela actually uh, uh, hired me to play banjo once on a Blaine Sprouse record he produced, and uh, so. So I, you know, I, I I love to play it. It's just, you know, it's one of those things. It's I've, I have forgotten more than I'll ever know, right? <laughs> I mean, I I used to know a lot of Bill Key things and you know Alan Mundy licks. That, but but you know, I but I had the good fortune to sit and play along with Alan Mundy and Courtney Johnson and Bill Keith and JD Crow and so and and Bela Fleck, of course. And so I've I've. Had the fortune, Scott Bestel, now Wes. You know, I have the I have the good fortune to to have played this. You know, some masters that I, you know, the masters of banjo I've I've gotten to play with. So pretty pretty good cheer. But um, you know, and and of course I've always played guitar and the same kind of thing there. I used to I used to do a lot more flat picking and guitar playing in our first nine years of new grass revival because curtis birch would play dobro probably at least two songs a set so i you know i played guitar every night and i was kind of so uh even you know again i had to you know hone hone down hone it down on my guitar and get with it there how did you initially meet john hartford we met in at uh, Bean Blossom, Bill Monroe's Bean Blossom Festival in 1971. Our band, at the time, uh, the band I was in, Bluegrass Alliance, and our personnel was uh, Courtney, banjo, Lonnie Pierce, fiddle, Ebo, bass, Tony Rice, guitar, and me on mandolin. So we were hired to play at Bill Monroe's Festival, and 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 uh, and Bill was kind of he was championing our band. He was he was. Uh, behind us totally and we were we were the bluegrass alliance were kind of the progressive bluegrass band on that weekend but also on that weekend was the what we call the aeroplane band the dobrolic plectoral society john hartford's quartet of hartford Tut taylor vassar clements and norman blake so they were on that and man it just blew my mind hearing those four guys and uh vassar was just in the most incredible peak form you'd ever hear him in and and uh john was in so we met those guys at bean blossom um and uh i had i had known i had met vassar as as a kid before but not the other three and uh so one thing that was odd we before in no time we found ourselves in a jam session uh with with the aeroplane band and and i knew that uh, boy i'd never you know that i mean we played for hours uh after they played th- that night at bean blossom at a camp fire and um and I just thought, man, this guy loves to pick. And I and as you know, I never to this day have met anyone that loved to jam or play their instruments more than John Hartford did. And that, you know, had they got more enjoyment out of playing their instruments. What was it like getting to record with them? Because you recorded with him on a few killer albums that he put out as well. Yeah, well, at the time when, when I was recording with him, there was a couple of different ways he but uh the first two records that I got to play on, which was Nobody Knows What You Do, and then All in the Name of Love were his, in his, of course, Flying Fish Records, period. They were produced by a guy named Mike Melford, 
and uh, and the idea was that John just wanted to, uh, John and Mike wanted to do the kind of thing where just gather a large number of musicians in in, in Nashville style in, in one big studio, the sound shop, and pretty much cut them on the spot. I mean, John cut his vocals as we recorded, and uh, and pretty m- most all the solos on the record were done as we cut the songs, and because uh, John was going for the spontaneity and you know of hiring people he loved uh, their playing and and getting to do it so uh it was uh it was pretty unique uh and then it was uh the first one you know uh, nobody knows what you do and then this uh, but you know some of the cream of nashville's country session crops the more progressive ones like there was a guitar player named jimmy colvart that somebody named him at the time the guitar that ate nashville and then uh <laughs> He was marvelous. You know, David Briggs on piano, Buddy Emmons on the steel, Husky on the bass, Kenny Malone drums. Uh, you know, it was, and and Benny Martin was on fiddle. So John was mixing us me on mandolin. So he was mixing the old and new with Nashville session players, and uh, it was uh, it was a pretty unique experience. And John was bringing tunes to the table, the likes of which these people hadn't played before such as the one of the tunes that i recorded and played on because i've never heard anybody else play it and i always loved it called the the tune is simply called john mclaughlin Hartford and I, we'd, we'd listen to Birds of Fire by the Mahavishnu Orchestra and Marvel. You know, Hartford just loved John McLaughlin and Jan Hammer, uh, the synthesizer player. And um, so, you know, teaching that kind of tunes to those guys, that was pretty unique, you know. And uh, even Buddy Emmons was like looking at it like, what kind of tune is this? <laughs> and uh, But for the second album, All in the Name of Love, one of the highlights was that we went to Buddy Emmons' house the night before started cutting the record and had a long rehearsal and it was just boy it was a great rehearsal and i got to watch john turn turn uh, buddy emmons on to uh intervisions by stevie wonder he had never heard that record dad buddy emmons says what is he playing i don't know what he's doing and i know everything <laughs> <laughs> and uh but after the rehearsal i just it's a great life memory of man going we had we, then after we got done rehearsing then we jam again hartford right and then we jammed for about an hour in buddy's basement and man hearing buddy emmons play solo after solo after solo on a song Till he finally threw, I mean, I, it was amazing. All of a sudden, he threw his bar in the air, and he says, I can't make a mistake. <laughs> he said, what? He goes, there's no note I go to that the next note, that it, uh, there's no mistakes. <laughs> and I think Hartford said something like, yeah, well, the rest of us ain't up there with you, buddy. <laughs> So uh, it was a pretty unique experience because I, you know, I got to record with musicians that I that I might not have ever gotten to record with, and uh, and uh, but you know, and then later on, John, uh, when he when uh, Jack Clements started producing John, 
um, or they produced John together. Then John got more into the idea of overdubbing and stacking fiddles and, and things. So he got more more into that idea, and um, so it was uh, it was a pretty uh, it was a pretty great experience in in all ways. So I've been around. I've been I've recorded with John when it was kind of one take spontaneous, or other projects where you stack it and overdub and take your time and create a lot of harmony parts and stuff. So. You know, that's a good thing about him. He never was locked into any one thing, I don't think. It's really great, too. Like, a lot of people um, who don't aren't familiar with maybe bluegrass, I play a lot of gigs that aren't bluegrass gigs, and you know, we'll play, like, a Hartford tune, and like, oh, who wrote that? And, oh, it's a John Hartford song. And they're like, oh, I'm not familiar with him. I'm like, he's one of those guys who you wish you were. You know, like, he, yeah. he had that gentle on my mind, which pretty much probably enabled him to really, like, like you're saying, just do everything whatever he wanted to follow at that point. That's a absolutely, absolutely. At one point, gentle on my mind was the, uh, Guinness book records, most recorded song. <laughs> I mean, by, you know, it may, I don't know if any others have been, uh, recorded more or what have you, but, uh, uh, at that time, you know, and, and, and then John had a, a stack of, of albums by different artists and, and many of them would use that as the album title. And I remember once he showed me a record of Dean Martin, Gentle on My Mind, that he had never opened. He goes, I, I don't have the nerve to open all these. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a rarity because that, that, I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. It, I don't think with the way the music business is, it, it can happen anymore. My my project, Radio John, uh, it, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing this is probably the first collection of John Hartford songs anyone has put in one collection that does not include Gentle on My Mind. Uh, just because, hey, I played on that version with John on Flying Fish, so I feel like I've gotten to be there you know, with with the guy, right? And uh, and not to mention Tim O'Brien does, the, I think, the best version of anyone of Gentle on My Mind. I love his singing on that how did you pick these tunes? It's funny because the very first song, um, when I listened back to it here earlier this week, I interviewed AJ Lee, who's a uh, she's a mandolin player out of Santa Cruz. And while we were doing the interview for the podcast, an earthquake hit. Oh yeah, we just played on a, we played on a job together recently. Yeah. Oh nice. Yeah. So when I'm talking to her, an earthquake happened in Santa Cruz, a 5.2. And then I go to listen to your album and uh, uh, to go for a walk and California earthquakes, the first track. I'm like, well, <laughs> what are the odds of that? <laughs> right. And John wrote that in the 60s. And in the 60s, everybody was waiting for the big one out there. Well, they tell me they've exploded the underground blast. What they say's happening's gonna happen at last That's the way it appears And they tell me the fault line Runs right And, uh, yeah, I mean, I did, and, and I always love that tune And that, that, that that's one of, uh, on that one, for instance There's a couple tunes on this record I had to, uh, hone down I, I sit around the house finger-picking a guitar, but I do it on on a lot at home for fun, and uh, 
And it all came from when I was a guitar teacher in Louisville as a young man, 18 years old. Uh, you know, I worked at a place where, okay, so a guy, one day a guy comes in and goes, I'd like to learn Chet Atkins style. Can you teach it? And I go, yep. So I got the same Chet Atkins book I was going to be teaching him. And each week before our lesson, I would learn the next the next Chet Atkins thing that I had to teach. And uh, so, but anyway, getting back to, so, but John, you know, was a wonderful finger picker on guitar. And um, so the California earthquake and tall buildings are, are the first time that I've ever actually finger picked a guitar on a record. And then I needed to use, you know, just my, my banjo picks and a thumb pick. And uh, that too was, Oh, I got to reangle my hands. So these don't scrape on these strings like that. So, um, uh, so yeah, but that, that very riff on California earthquakes one is really cool. And I, it, you know, and once I realized, Oh, John's in an open tuning. Well, that makes more sense. Um, but, but always that, that song, California earthquake always uh, spoke to me. Um, and that's, um, but, but this, what I was trying to do was, uh, it's kind of a very brief overview of the different kinds of songs John would write, so to speak. And, uh, because California Earthquake is followed by an instrumental called Down. one that was rec- I played that one with him on on one of the records and and uh but I think John had overdubbed twin fiddles with himself on that one and uh so of course I was over I overdubbed fiddle two twin fiddles and it's you know me I'm, I'm pretty meticulous about this process so uh and then you know so, so there's a couple of instrumentals right that you know people might not have some people might not think of John as an instrumentalist, but of course, later in his life as a fiddler, they thought of him more that way. And in the, you know, in tall buildings, well, I got to play and sing on that one with him in the seventies. And so that's special to me. And it kind of speaks to a boy from the country that, you know, I don't work in office buildings for a living, but I certainly, and with being in the music business have, you know, <laughs> you go to the office buildings to do your business. So I, I went, I went to work in tall buildings and, um, and then a simple thing is love. I think is one of his most just incredible love songs. It's just of any that people write. It's so beautiful. Do not hide your face because somebody said one time it wasn't natural. What a joy for us just running down this crooked trail of midnight and the peaceful things inside me that it does. Below, I have to go. The acid tears start coming slow. Complicate a simple thing is love. The John McLaughlin instrumental we spoke of. Well, that one, you know, and, it, and if you listen to John McLaughlin, the form of the tune, it's kind of like it goes up to a up to a peak 
and then it backs off exactly the same way as the song goes through it, if that makes any sense. He builds, there's three parts to the tune, so he, he three little riffs, and different parts, and so he builds it up from one, now to two, now to three, and then he builds it back down to two, and now back down to one. And it's really a short tune. It's the shortest tune I've ever recorded. It's a minute <laughs> and 50. <laughs> but again, I originally was just, I, and my first thought was to, just teach these songs to my band. So I didn't want to put extra solos or anything on. And so that's why some of them don't really have a few of these songs don't have any solos. Um, and, um, morning bugle, uh, always, you know, that's the title tune of that record. And, and, uh, some people might not know that, uh, on morning bugle, Norman Blake was playing the mandolin that I have owned for, in January, 50 years. So Norman Blake was playing old Hoss back then. And then, uh, I, he, I had, uh, seen the mandolin before he got it and didn't really care for it. And then Norman had, um, Randy Woodshade, the braces on his, this 37 F five while he had it. So then, man, the next time I heard Norman playing that mandolin, I could not believe it was the same <laughs> instrument. Uh, what in the heck happened? He goes, I had Randy Woodshade, the braces. And then it got to a point where him and Hartford one night, they took all the finish off of it in a hotel room. <laughs> and, uh, there exists an audio tape that I heard one time. John played it for me, but uh, we don't know where it is of them with John as a sportscaster and Blake giggling along, scraping the finish off. And uh, so that's, uh, and then later Randy Wood, before I got the instrument, uh, had uh, put a varnish finish on it. So the way Hoss looks now is because I've rubbed all most that varnish off in, in 50 years. Uh, there's a reason Gibson went to lacquer, <laughs> but but the varnish sounds better. And so then after, but Morning Bugle is a song a title tune of the record where it was just the two of them after the Aeroplane Band and and with Dave Holland on bass. And that song just always brought me comfort and still does. Um, and this is, and of course, I think that record came out in '72, maybe or so. And of course, I had a reel-to-reel tape recorder I would take on the road with me so I could hear some music in a ho- in a motel room. <laughs> Thursday hotel. Let's, let's refine that. Motel room. And um, and we were staying in Savannah Beach uh, in 1972 playing there, and it was over Thanksgiving weekend, and I had never missed Thanksgiving at my you know, parents' house before. So I was pretty lonesome down on the Savannah Beach. We, of course, we had the day off. We weren't going to play that night. And... Um, there's there's a verse in Morning Bugle about getting me a place down here for Thanksgiving dinner, don't you know? And it just brought me great comfort, and it still does. So the the idea is, you know, I can't. It's hard to explain why you like a song, but for me, it's like did did it make me feel something? And so Morning Bugle gives me feelings and thoughts of comfort, and um, then this the song that follows that one, no no end of love. When things are right again And love you like There was no end of love No end of love And 
I played Bela's little banjo on that one. But and by the way, when I talk about my banjo picking on this record, it, it really is more of an, and most of it is just, you know, as a, in a, a backup instrument. <laughs> I felt comfortable as a backup instrument. I did take a solo on down, I think, on the banjo, and a, a, a little tiny one on John McLaughlin. And then, of course, I had to go to the one of more John's goofy songs that that I got to record with him, which is called "Granny, Won't You Smoke Some Marijuana?" <laughs> and it's so it's so funny to me that you know John wrote that song in the seventies. That uh, when he wrote it, I thought it was a funny verse. And then he's just going. He said, "Well, here's a verse. I hope that comes true someday." Where he said, "Well, he used to get high and listen to the Beatles. Ain't as much fun now that it's legal." <laughs> and he wrote that in the '76 or seven. I'm going, "Wow, what a!" <laughs> and then the tune "I'm Still Here" is really just guitar and mandolin on that track, uh, with you know, obviously one voice, me. <laughs> are running towards each other Shotguns are pointed at my head Tornado clouds are forming over the crossroads Each bombs are falling towards my bed But I'm still here I'm still here But I was actually, when, when I made that for myself, I... Uh, before I realized I was going to maybe turn this into a record, I would originally recorded it as a demo to play for Del McCurry so he and I could do it as a duet. Uh, so that's, I was trying to, uh, if you'll listen to the guitar playing on there, it sounds like me trying to do my best Del. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I, uh, Radio John is the last song, and then we kind of wanted to you know, make that the, the tie-in at the end there. Did you um do you have a favorite Hartford song that that didn't make this album? Uh there is an incredibly beautiful song called Today that I I had you know thought about laying down a track on Today, but honestly, I recorded that one when Jamie Hartford did his tribute to his dad a number of years ago, and I thought Jamie did a beautiful job on it. And I thought that was one of the best versions that I just decided I better let that one ride, and I thought Jamie had already done it. Uh, but today is one. Um, I mean, gosh, there's some of his old RCA songs, like I, and I recently recorded uh, with Jason Carter for Jason's record. He did uh, So Much Depends on the Six O'Clock Train and the Girl with Green Eyes. That's an incredible song. Uh, there's I was, I was, I was, I was a very beautiful tune we used to sing. I remember Tony Rice and Lonnie Pierce and I used to sing in the Bluegrass Alliance. We did one of John's songs called The Tall, Tall Grass. That's a really pretty old one. So, like I say, his old stuff on RCA, that was about songwriting and the songs. And um, so I was a large fan of all those records. I, I fortunately got in got in early in life on his music. Yeah, and, and, and you've also had some uh, great versions that you've done with uh, New Grass Revival and then also on your, uh, I love your version of uh, On the Road. Yeah, so see, we've been doing these over the years, and uh, you know, Vamp in the Middle, and we we did uh, with the Newgrass Boys. We did Vamp in the Middle, Skipping the Mississippi Dew, uh, Aerial Plane. I guess that's all the ones we recorded. And then there's like there's like a live record from Telluride where we were back and John doing Nobody Eats at Lime Balls anymore, and uh, you know, and so I just um, 
he was a unique cat and uh, you know and, and and I must point out you know he, he wasn't St. John to me I mean we knew each other we we would disagree sometimes uh, and he would give me advice and uh, some of which I took some I didn't couple that he advised me that I didn't take I kind of wish I had you know 20 years later but uh, he was you know he he at, at one point, John and my father had decided that I should become the staff fiddler on the Grand Ole Opry, and uh, which is a good job. And I and I've had buddies that have had that good job, but I just never felt like that's what I needed to be doing. And and uh, you know, I, it, I if if I had turned my attention towards that, I would have kind of given up all the other things I've been working for since I got out of high school. So I, I didn't feel that I was the best. And I never felt that I would be the best person for the job as the fiddler on the Grand Ole Opry. There's, you know, Hoot Hester, my friend from Louisville, did it for many years, probably 20 years, Who was the fiddler. And now Eamon McLaughlin is, you know, and he's a fine fiddle player. And, and Eamon loves the job. So, and you have to, boy, you have to, it's it's hard work. I mean, you you know, you, you get there in the afternoon of the day of the Opry and you run these songs and you make your charts and, Man, you're you're on the line on these live shows. So, <laughs> but really, I never felt like that was what I needed to be doing. And uh, although I appreciated John and my dad's thoughts because they were, what my dad, you know, was the most fiddle freak of anyone any you would have ever met. So him and Hartford, man, they could talk about fiddle tunes for hours. And and one night, John Hartford, you know how he he he'd kind of when he was on stage, he'd whatever key he was about to start in, he'd sing that note and go, now I'm going to do a song in the key of C and dedicate this to Charlie Bush, who I consider the foremost authority on fiddle tunes in the key of C. <laughs> <laughs> My dad loved a fiddle tune in the key of C. If it was in C, he wanted it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. You know, it's it's a good thing you didn't take that. I might not be doing these interviews and I play mandolin for a living and you're a big part of that. I, you know, I, called a music store after I heard a smoothie song by Nickel Creek. I'm like, what is this instrument? And the, the hold music, I'm like, do you guys sell mandolins? And he's like, let me go check and see if we have one. And the hold music was can't stop now. And, uh, I heard that mandolin break. I'm oh, like, wow. Whoa. I need to buy one now for sure. It like sealed my fate. <laughs> so I'm glad you didn't Me. become the staff fiddler. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, I, of course, I started on Manly at age eleven. By by around thirteen, I was playing fiddle, and um, and and of course, especially in high school, my yeah, I always considered mandolin my first instrument, but uh, fiddle I was incredibly serious, especially going to fiddle contests in the summer, and then three times uh, the champ, the junior champion at Weezer, Idaho. And, uh, so I was incredibly serious about fiddle, but once I got out of high school, I didn't, I just didn't pay as much attention to it. And it, and I always played it, but it wasn't really till I got with Amy Lou Harris for five years that I realized that, well, one of the reasons I'm not ever satisfied with my fiddle playing is because I don't play the instrument enough. So I, when I was playing with her, I played the fiddle a lot and, um, and it became more comfortable with the way I play. But you got to know, man. I, I mean, when you when you get to play in an, in an ensemble with some of your favorite fiddlers that are absolutely set in the bar with what you do on that axe, uh, in in terms of Stuart Duncan and Mark O'Connor, for instance, in the eighties, I'd, I'd play with Stuart and Mark, and then I'd pick the fiddle up and hell, I didn't like the way I sounded. I love their playing, right? And so. 
Jerry Douglas helped me get over that on a session one day. He said, get over it. Everybody likes your playing. Now shut up. (laughs) (laughs) But I, but I accept my limitations and it's so funny. John Hartford was the very guy that said a phrase once that that I remember. He said, style is based upon limitations. Your, your style on your instrument is based upon your limitations. And I guess I got to start thinking about it. So I guess in a way that's true. I'm not unlimited on what I can do. And <laughs> so, it, it, you know, John had lots of observations. <laughs> you nailed those, uh, the, the twin fiddle parts on the recording though. Those sound killer, man. Well, that's the great part about digital recording. You're not we- you're not wearing out a piece of tape when you just and 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 really. But during lockdown, I I, I did hit you know. So I'd work on these tapes and come. I still call them tapes. Listen to me, but work on the work on the music and then you know come home and listen to it and go. Okay, I'm close. I still need to make that one better. And uh, so the luxury of of redoing things till I was till I was happy with it again. It. And, and, you know, I'm a stickler for timing, so and as you stack instruments, if anything is a little bit shady, it will start sticking out timing-wise. So there were there were times I had to go back and, and redo some things because I simply went, oh, my, how in the hell did I miss that, that that licks out of time? Um, so, you know, and the record ain't perfect, but I, I'm... I got it to where I could, you know, put it out and, and be proud of John's music. Was it interesting? I mean, you know, you have the Sam Bush band and obviously you're Sam Bush. So you have the overriding authority on decision making, you know, but it, was it was it did you find yourself being even tougher on yourself, being the only musician on an album? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with. Well, with everything, I mean, just, you know, meticulously singing and stuff. And and and, and um, you know, when I sing, I don't know if, a lot of, if this is well known, but Stephen Mojan is a University of Massachusetts graduate vocal major, right? And so Stephen is, I consider Stephen my vocal coach. And when there's things, I'm going, Stephen, what can I do? To, I mean, he's, he's like my vocal coach. And, I, and for the song Radio John, I had worked really hard on all my vocals, on all the rest of it. So when we cut Radio John, you know, it, it it always feels the best in the studio if you can sing it as the band plays it, of course. And we and so we you know we cut it one take and then you you, you fix your mistakes and boom. Well, my singing by the time we got the actual take we wanted that day, my voice was wearing down. You know, didn't have my good road chops. We hadn't been playing a lot, and we cut it in 2020. And uh, I just uh, so I went back and re, re when I went back to re-record my mandolin and my vocal, I went up to Stephen Mojan's studio, and Mojo is my vocal coach. And so I came out of it really happy with my vocal on Radio John. Uh, but Mo, Mojo's a great vocal coach, just saying little things, you know, breathe here. You're saying the L in that word too quickly. Just little things that help you achieve your pitch and phrasing. And so he's, I love, I love his coaching. So Mojo engineered and, and, uh, and, and coached me on the vocal track of, uh, radio John. So, but all the other, all the other ones, I, I didn't have Mojo coaching me and I, I worked and worked and worked and finally I played him for him. I said, how he said, sounds good. I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they do sound good. And like you said, you, 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 it sounds like you were definitely experimenting a little bit more in the lower register of your voice and it sounds fantastic. 
Well, I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, or I don't know. If I can maybe I, I can only speak for myself, but as you age, your voice lowers some. Mine has, and uh, so it was. I remember reading Merle Haggard's last interview in Rolling Stone magazine, and he said, "I think I was about sixty-two at the time, maybe or something," and he said, "Well, there aren't many good singers after 60. and I went, "Man, I feel like I'm just starting to get somewhere." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting comfortable with That's my right. voice. Oh no! <laughs> oh well, it's, no, it sounds fantastic. What, what is something that that you would like people to know about John Hartford who may not be familiar with John or might not, you know, obviously hadn't been able to spend time with him? Well, I mean, just really to point out uh, one of the things I was trying to point out. Yeah, some people, even if they do know who he is, might only know the lat the latter things in his career. And I would just like people to be aware of what a what a you know incredible songwriter he was and how heavy and deep things you know, he was. The subject matters, you know. Again, on all his old RCA records, he always had a he always had a goofy song probably somewhere like that good old electric washing machine that one where he'd make the sound of the old washer with his mouth, or you know. But but you know the incredible musicianship that he was and. Uh, I like one of my favorite things he, I ever heard him do was to play on a on a song called Dance by James Taylor on one James's record One Man Dog. Dig that track. It's John on low banjo and fiddle. And boy, it's fine. <laughs> it's so cool that song. Don't be nervous and don't be shy and give yourself a chance. You can dance. Pick off your shoes and lose your room. Pick them up, Lord, put them back down and around and around and around and around. Come on, baby, it must be fun to be dancing in the pale. I might have to record that one someday. Uh, oh, wait, my next tribute to James Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, gosh, you know, I. You you could go on doing this forever. I mean, and I've 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 been fortunate to you know have these incredible you know musicians that I got to know and befriend and later, um, you know it's it's just uh, it's pretty overwhelming. But I mean, to think that, you know that I've gotten to play with you know John Prine on records and and uh, you know. Uh, you know, the, 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 some of the songwriting, you know, or, or you know, over there, I'll love it. You know, I mean, I've, I've gotten to be around some masterful, masterful songwriters. And, and of course, John was the first. That's one of the things that I love so much about your playing and why I um, I hold you, you and your playing in such high esteem is because you've turned me on to so many different types of music through your playing and influences. I, I think the one thing that you capture that maybe a lot of uh, quote unquote studio musicians that do just studio work is you're able to take these things that you experience in the studio and add them somehow to your playing and style, you know, and, and, and make yourself more you, which, which I always love. Well, I try to, uh, and, and I really made it, the, the attempt on this, on this project was to play for the song. So if this, you know, this tune lends itself to play out fine. This one, another one on the on the record. Well, it all you need are all you need is the melody and the words. You don't need a solo. You don't need to sh show off on your instrument. So I, I just tried to make that for the song, and no one ever really drove that home to me more than like getting to play with Doc Watson. 
Doc would, you know, play for the song. If it's a fancy song, then play fancy. Playing a Carter family song, keep her, keep her, make the song sound good, you know, so. <laughs> That's wonderful. What, speaking of influences stuff, is there anything you've been listening to recently that you've been really digging that, that might be uh, out of, out of, you know, the ordinary? What have I been listening to lately? One of my favorite things I've been listening to is uh, Edgar Winter's tribute to Johnny Winter. <laughs> of course, I'm a guitar, I'm a, I'm a guitar freak, right? I love guitar, uh, but yeah, there's some fantastic guitar playing on this, uh, on, on, on that. Uh, John McLaughlin's latest record, uh, actually, his very latest one, Live from Montreux. I don't, I have, I've, I've ordered it. I don't have it yet, uh, but. Um, Really, honestly, I, I've lately I've been on a jag of going on YouTube and and uh, loving watching and hearing listening to Jean Luc Ponty again. That's one of the guys you turned me on to. Well, Jean Luc is just for me perfection on that instrument, and I love I love his playing, and it just again his playing makes me feel something. <laughs> and I love to hear it. That's great, man. What's 2023 looking like for you? Well, of course, one of the things that, that will be a positive is that uh, this will be the first coming into the first touring year of 2023 that I that I have put a, an album out in, in six years. You know, and I, 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 of course, I should be more aware of putting records out in a more timely manner, but I get busy. I've been recording <laughs> with people the whole time. I've been on the road the whole time. And, uh, uh, so, but, you know, uh, looking forward to doing more Sam Bush band, uh, and, um, early in the year, we will, uh, uh, go back out on the road, uh, in late, uh, January and early February, uh, with the uh, the quartet of uh, Edgar Meyer, Mike Marshall, and me, and who uh, Joshua Bell was originally the violinist. Now it's Edgar's son George, who is quite the violin player. And I think someday George Meyer will be a violinist that the world knows his name. I really do. And uh, but George also learned fiddle style as he learned uh, violin. And so when we play with this quartet now, it's the, the the record was originally called A Short Trip Home, what, 20 years ago or more. And uh, on Sony Classical, all Edgar compositions, and that he wrote for the fusion of classical and bluegrass specifically. And so because George grew up playing fiddle tunes as well as violin, it gives us a cool swing. And of course, Mike Marshall is an incredible guitarist. And when we first started the idea of this quartet, Mike and I were going to trade off on guitar, you know, because you got, you got one of the world's greatest mandolin players, Mike Marshall, you know, not playing mandolin in this ensemble. But as we went through our early rehearsals, long, you know, 20-something years ago, it was obvious, you know, that Mike needed to stay on guitar, that we simply sounded better with Mike on guitar and um, than me. And so... Um, but we do, you know, a couple of tunes with Mike and I both playing mandolins, and uh, Mike plays the mandola as well. Man, you know, I, I way before you know Chris Chris Thiele had started playing the mandolin, there was this incredibly progressive guy named Mike Marshall that anything me or David Grisman could play, he could play harmony to it, <laughs> and uh, so. Mike Marshall is still one of one of the greatest that's ever picked up a mandolin. Man, are those tour dates announced yet? 
I, yeah, it should be, yeah. Okay. I wanted to close it out with, uh, you have a, a line from the song Radio John that says, he could make us happy and sometimes make us cry. And um, I think that you could take this quote and, and use it towards this album because I really, really think you nailed the vibe, the joy Great. and the heart and soul of all these Hartford songs on this recording, man. And and I think that's hard to do. And you you nailed it. I was almost in tears the other day listening to uh, In Tall Buildings. That song gets me all the time, but uh, it just hit all the right buttons uh, the other day for me, man. And I I'm, uh, can't congratulate you enough on capturing the, the essence of this. I, I think that I think that especially the you know in tall buildings it, that's classic case of a, a great song can be done by different people and and uh, in the different ways and the song stands and uh, of course having done them with John I was really you know in that frame of mind as as uh, so in that way I'm I'm the right person having played with him a lot and you know been around him an awful lot uh, that you know. I wanted to, it, my heart's in the right place. As Lynn said, this is, this is your love letter to John Hartford's music. Yeah, that's the perfect, it's the perfect way to end this, man. Well, Sam, congratulations. It's really always uh, special to me to get to speak with you. You're the best. I want to thank you for everything you do and um, uh, best of luck. I hope to catch you in Charles or in Kiowa here in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, thank you, Daniel. Hey, more mandolins, more beer. More mandolins, more beer. All right. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks, brother. All right. Take care, buddy. Bye now. Man, that was Sam Bush. Never get tired of talking to Sam. He's the best. Uh, Radio John is available now wherever you get your music. Go out there and get it. If you happen to be in Michigan this weekend, well, this is uh, airing the 3rd, 4th, and 5th. I'm in Grand Rapids or Bay City or Ferndale. Come on out and see me. You guys have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody.